Hello, I'm Matt Quinn. Thanks for joining us for Decision Point from Ivy Publishing at the Ivy Business School. With us today is Allison Conrad, Professor of Organizational Behavior at Ivy and holder of the Chorus Entertainment Chair in Women in Management. Professor Conrad's approach to case writing is informed by over 50 published research articles covering topics such as inclusivity initiatives in organizations, employment equity programs, work-life balance initiatives, and more. We asked Professor Conrad to reflect on her history as a case author, examine how the case method has evolved, and offer some advice for educators looking to respectfully and effectively cover EDI issues in their own classes and cases. Allison, let's start right from from the top. Thank you so much for joining us. I, I'd like to learn a little bit about your history as a case author. Can you talk to us about uh, how you got started? Who did you learn from? And how long have you been writing cases? Well, I um, was recruited to join the Ivy Business School in the fall of 2003. And um, when I arrived, I was told about the expectation that we would write one to two cases a year. So I would, the reason I joined the school, um, because of the high prestige, the excited, it's an exciting program, but also I was very interested in learning about case teaching and case writing. So, so for me, that was very motivating. So I right away did my first case the first year. Then that was, so I arrived in 2003. The first one was published in 2004. And then I had one to two cases a year. I have, I think, 27 now. Oh, it's amazing, and it's been it's been fun to work with you. Uh, for those joining us today, Allison's been a great partner for for our team, helping us to learn, working together on workshops. We've got a lot of experience working together, and it's been a lot of fun. I want to take a dive down and talk about diversity and, and equity issues and, and your perspective as a case author. What have you noticed recently, the shift in attitudes, the approach that publishers, uh, uh, colleagues of yours, students, and even institutions are taking? What have you noticed recently? Well, I, I think firms are more open now to discussing their equity, diversity, and inclusion initiatives. Now that we've sort of experienced Me Too and Black Lives Matter, people want to see businesses take initiative in this area. And so I believe that's the reason leaders are seeming to be more open now about doing cases in this area to show that they are being proactive and that they are taking diversity and inclusion seriously. Certainly from the student side, students have requested cases that reflect a broader set of leaders for a long time, but those requests are are more frequent now, and it comes from more people. So I I think students really have an appetite for this, and and then business is also more willing to um, open their doors to, to us as case writers in this field as well. So it's pretty exciting. It's great because you're seeing it from you know student demand and also companies. So we're seeing it on all levels, which is which is really great and so important for this to move forward. So I want to talk about structuring cases, and and you've definitely approached cases that have difficult or sensitive topics, and from you know mini cases to standard case structures. What has been your approach? Uh, are, is there one approach that's better than another in how to, you know, approach this when you're a writer, when working with companies? You know, how do you decide how to move forward with tackling sensitive topics? Yes, I've, I've 
done different structures with my cases depending upon, you know, the level of access to information, generally speaking. So many cases are best when um, I don't have a lot of detailed information, but it is such a compelling incident or an event, and it really illustrates some dimension or some dynamic of, you know, that's either helping or hurting equity, diversity, and inclusion that it just stands alone very nicely as a discussion point. So um, many cases are useful for those things that, you know, no firm wants to open their doors to say, here is our, our worst moment we've had in a long time, and, and let's let you look at everything about it. So generally speaking, those when we want to get to those really painful points that happen, and it's not like if it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen. So you have to learn how to handle it. So for those very painful moments, many cases are usually best. Because you can also show a range. You can show how there's a range of behaviors that all might fall within the, the field of harassment or microaggressions. And, and so having a set of mini cases also broadens the concept as you discuss in class. So those usually come from publicly available documents. Settlements of lawsuits are one. Um, if, if they're if they're open settlements, cases um, with Ontario Human Rights Commission, um, as well as incidents that come up in academic research that have been well documented, um, those those kinds of things come up in the many. I love that you mentioned some of the sources because those are great creative sources that may not come to mind when we first start start writing a case. I love that you've given us that tip. And for those that are, are new to case, right, how would you define a mini case? Really, it's really short and sweet. So you can fit it onto a page or a page and a half. I'm not sure how many words that is, Matt. Yeah, not not too many and definitely different from the traditional, you know, eight page case that we've seen that we've seen before. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Many cases from a student perspective, I had a, a chance to sit in on some classes where we use those like the one pager. They're great to get conversations started and really getting people thinking or even in breakout sessions to hand out a mini case for folks to use. I think that's a great tool. So I, I so appreciate that you brought that up. Now, along with the mini cases and traditional cases, you talk about, uh, you know, teaching notes. And let's let's talk about that for a moment. What are some of the key things that you keep in mind when writing a, a teaching note to help faculty direct direct the conversations to ensure that they're safe and that they're inclusive? What do you think about when you're writing those teaching notes? Yeah, I, I do think about that because leading conversations on sensitive topics in class is a Difficult skill. Many, you know, instructors are nervous about it when we approach it. Mm -hmm. So it's very helpful to have some tools in the teaching note to help you, you know, structure the conversation in a way that's going to go well. So the one thing that I do and many of us do is at the beginning of class acknowledge that this will be an emotionally charged topic potentially and it might get heated. And so for that reason, we're going to start class by setting up some ground rules for discussion. And so then that's the first pasture of the case discussion. And students are really excellent at identifying things that they can do for each other to create a nice um, 
level of psychological safety in the room. So, so that's a great way to start the class. And, and, and if everyone is sort of, it's a top of mind to be kind and respectful to each other. So that's a great start. And then also, um, it's hard for me to put stuff like this in the teaching note, but I do try to invite and encourage and, and say yes to all a broad range of student comments. I try to say yes, regardless whether it comes from a politically liberal or a politically conservative side. It's important for me to be supportive of all of my students and care about everybody's views. So many of the comments, I, I'm, I'm less comfortable with the conservative side com comments just because that is not my starting values. But the right. truth is, I've heard those things and they're related to economic theory, which I respect. So I can say things like, yes, I've heard that view before. And what would be the implications for organizational action? Or I could say something, yes, you know, that view is consistent with compensating differential theory and economics. What are the implications for our decision of that? Mm -hmm. So that way, um, it's, you know, all of my students should feel comfortable expressing their views and I can be supportive. And, and my personal view is not what the class is about, right? Yeah, I was just I was just going to say, you know, that pre-work when walking into the classroom of kind of thinking about, all right, what are the different angles? What are the theories, as you've just mentioned, that might be referenced? And so that you are almost anticipating what some of the comments could be in that that prep work before class that just becomes even more important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then another thing that I think is important to do in class is to interrupt comments that look like they're going to go down the wrong road. So if I hear somebody say something that I judge is going to be hurtful to perhaps some of our other students in the room, I will say something about it. So a common example for me, and it's happened more than once, is students will bring up Adolf Hitler as an example of a strong leader. And so that's I, I can't let that go. So I, I usually just say, you know, that's a painful example. And history has, has judged that Hitler is not a good model. And um, also this class isn't about political economy. This mm. business class. So could you give us a different example, one that's from business? And so I try to do it as gently as possible, being supportive of all of my students, because not Generally speaking, they come from a very positive place and they're just engaged in learning. And so doing um, some kind of a gentle interruption and steering the conversation to a more safer domain, which is in the legitimate domain of the class, which is business. <laughs> you know, I, my views on political economy are extensive, but they are not educated. I'm not a PhD in that area. And so that's not you know, what the class is about. And so staying in our domain of businesses really helps to focus the conversation in where, you know, what should we be doing? How can we as leaders manage this for effectiveness? I love that it's, you know, it's coming back to you've set the rules, you set the stage, and then as the conversation goes on, you use those rules and values almost like guardrails to keep uh, to keep the conversation on track. I really love that sentiment. Now, what's been the reaction to cases, um, you know, where there are challenging conversations or uh, where you're discussing diversity issues? You know, what has the reaction been from students? Oh, very positive. 
very positive. These are very engaging conversations. You know, sensitive conversations are not boring. So they're very engaging. Everyone's in there. They're listening to each other. They're thinking, how can I contribute? How how should I phrase my contribution? And so there's a very high level of energy, although some of the energy is nervous energy. Um, mm. But that is all right. And, and as we work through the different business problems and how would leaders in practice handle these situations, um, it, be, it becomes more and more normal. We become more comfortable with the topic. We can see we're going to a place that's very safe. You know, it's, it's yep. leadership is leadership, even in painful moments. Then people get, start getting happy. And I, so I didn't, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen when we created a set of mini cases that are very close to home. Um, it's the Breaking the Silence series. These are, microaggressions that regularly happen in business school among students. And we decided to bring those to our class to have students start figuring out how can they manage this dynamic more effectively so that they themselves are going to be um, creating an, an inclusive classroom environment for, uh, for our increasingly diverse student body. Yeah, it's it's so neat to hear uh, of these classrooms because it's giving an opportunity for the students to talk about the business practice side of it, but also to exercise that muscle in conversations that may be uncomfortable and how do they deal with that and exercise their muscle in doing it. It's, it's a, a cool dichotomy and, and ways to grow that student to be the next, the next leader. It's so important for us to create that environment in the classroom. How do you manage and consider... Or, or think about maybe some of your own biases or the biases of writers that you worked with, publishers, editors, because that's another part of writing the case that we have. And, and we're learning about that in, in Ivy Publishing about, you know, how do we look for uh, some of that unconscious bias in writing? How have you managed it? Well, Matt, the, the, um, the, the impact of unconscious bias on my writing is something that is just always going to be a struggle. We know from evidence-based research that it's really hard for an individual to control their unconscious bias. And even if we are successful in the moment in controlling our unconscious bias in the moment, um, what researchers have found is when they ask people three weeks later about the event, their answers are more stereotypical because they were trying to stop their bias. They were trying to control mm. bias. So apparently what is top of mind when you're trying to control your bias is the stereotype. So that uh -huh. becomes strengthened through that activity rather than weakened. And so it can, ends up affecting memory. So we don't really have a great tool for controlling unconscious bias as an individual. Humans, our brain is not a good tool for that. We have to have outside guardrails to um, help us. So, you know, in, in um, businesses, we don't just count on individuals controlling their unconscious bias. You know, we re request that they make sure they have a feeder pool that, that's broad and diverse and that they mm -hmm. interview a diverse set of candidates that are qualified and don't stop looking until they have a diverse group to interview, etc. So, you know, for 
publication, I think what Ivy's doing, monitoring the, the diversity or lack of diversity among the decision makers in the catalog, as well as Colleen Sharon's excellent study of the language, you know, those kinds of metrics will help us as writers, but um, it is not that easy as a writer to um, know when your writing is biased. And so I just, um, I work with, with good case writers and I I do my best to interview multiple people about events to, to get multiple perspectives, but I'm sure if she were to analyze my stuff, Colleen would find biases in my writing as well. And for those of you that are, aren't familiar with uh, Colleen Sharon's work, she's a great colleague of ours that we've had the pleasure to work with. Uh, she's at Brescia University College. It's affiliated with Western University and it's done some really great work looking at uh, libraries of cases, including Ivy's. What's the representation of, of female leaders? Uh, also looking at those, again, uh, unconscious bias in writing style. And she's gotten involved and in not only done the research, but has been actively involved with our teams to to teach us more about this and how do we look out for it? What does uh, unconscious bias look like? Uh, how do we be a, f a force for change in this? Uh, she's been a great partner, so I encourage you. We'll try to put the uh, links up in the show notes to, to some of her work because it is fascinating and really important stuff. So of all the cases that you've written with an equity, diversity, and inclusion focus, is, is there one that stands out to you as... Uh, uh, you know, the experience was was powerful, uh, that you really felt strongly about writing, that, you know, this needs to get out there, the story needs to be told. Anything stand out to you? Too many of them, but I guess from, from a macro level, I really learned a lot and, and felt that um, the quality of information I got from the company was fantastic in the case on CIBC, um, fostering mm. an inclusive culture leading with gender. So that was a great experience because I was I was contacted by one of the senior leaders. Well, actually, one of the senior leaders. What happened is I invited uh, Ivy alums who had graduated in the last twenty years to come visit my women in leadership class. And so Jillian Whitebread from CIBC came and visited class one time, and then she invited me to write a case with. Her. And then she connected me with Jennifer Laidlaw, who's really doing amazing equity, diversity, and inclusion work at CIBC. So um, Jennifer and Jillian, um, I did interviews with them. And then he also connected me with several other senior leaders at CIBC. And then one of the um, senior EVPs came to my class and spoke to my women in leadership class about how the unconscious bias training had been so impactful on him and that how he's really opened his eyes to ways that they have to improve their systems for more equity. It was just very powerful. So um, I, um, I really think the case ended up, you know, having a very nice form. I think it's well written and it has a lot of great um, information about exactly what our business is doing in this area and the, Approaches are quite proactive and sophisticated. Mm. And so having that company partner is so important. What have you found has worked when working with a company, talking about what can be difficult conversations? What do you do as an author to put them at ease or get them on as a partner in creating these great cases? Any tips for the listeners? 
generally speaking, if I'm working with an Ivy alum, the trust is mm. there right from the beginning, especially if they've come to my class and seen yeah. me work with students and then we have a nice lunch afterwards. Um, this, you know, the trust has always been there. Um, it's when I'm working with a company that's not necessarily just linked through an Ivy alum. I have um, Ivy Publishing's NDAs, the non-disclosure agreements. I will happily sign one of those. I've done with a few of my cases. I've done, like like I said, over 20, and, and I've only had to sign like two or three NDAs. So mostly it's just a, you know, the, the relationship is the bond of trust rather than a piece of paper. But the NDAs make some people feel better, and that's fine with me. And so, so that can help a lot. And also, really, uh, I don't cold call and go out to a company and say, hey, can you tell me about the last time you had a sexual mm. harassment incident? That is not going to happen. No, you know, no one is going to want to tell a stranger about that. Instead, like I've, I'll see, I saw an article in the newspaper, I think it was the Hamilton Spectator, they were writing about this, this growing, fantastic firm, Mabel's Labels. And how they started this results-only work environment, which is a very radical take on work-life flexibility. And there is a it's a group of female entrepreneurs that wanted to have, you know, a very successful business and also be very present in their home lives. And so, because they had been in the newspaper, I guess when I, I just phoned right after the article, they invited me in. So I had, again, a whole day of interviews. So so I think it's because they were ready to talk about their story and they already had it out there. Um, that made that open. Other times, you know, I'll just be present in, in listening to interesting people talk or panelists or whatever. And when I hear a story that I think I would make a good, that it would make a good case, I just always have a business card on me and I'll go up to that speaker and say, hey. Would you be interested in writing a case for um, using Ivy Business School? I found nobody says no, Matt. <laughs> nobody says no if I if I approach them right after they've given a talk. So um, things like that, you know, you, you you hit the right moment when people have something to say and they're ready to share. Yeah, look for those signals that the company is open and willing to talk before you before you hit the hit the door. Uh, an NDA is something that if you're looking to develop trust, it's definitely something that that, that gets going. But what we've seen, and, and I'm so glad that you mentioned it, is that you know creating a long term relationship. Uh, we see many authors that work with companies over you know many years, sometimes decades, on on new cases and seeing how things evolve. So. Uh, looking for those opportunities to develop relationship is is fantastic. Any last um, tips or hints for those that are looking to write a case that cover EDI issues uh, or looking to feature underrepresented groups? Any other thoughts on how to just just get just getting started? My cases come to me serendipitously. My student will come to me and say, "Hey, I had this experience. Can we write a case about it?" Or um, I'll hear a speaker and I'll just want to write a case with that person. So I would just say just you have to have your ears open. And also it's valuable to sort of know, gosh, you know, I have this certain lesson that I'd mm. love to teach. I, there's certain concept and theory and I just don't have a case for it. So always having that top of mind. And then when I hear presentations or see newspaper articles, 
or a student comes to me with a with a story, or an alum comes to me with a story and wants to write a case, I'll know if that fits my needs or not, and that's another way of doing it. So always having your needs top of mind, really having a sense of what is the next case I'm looking for, and then always being open to the stories that come to me, even if they're not necessarily fitting that exact niche. That doesn't matter. A good case for for from a good story is a good case. That's great advice. And uh, I just want to wrap things up here, Allison. Thank you so much for first thing, you know, taking the time with us today to talk about your experiences, but moreover, you know, all the things that you're doing to push forward these discussions and ensure that uh, the case libraries and the material that's hitting the desk of future leaders is representative, that it, it starts conversations that are really uh, important for the students to have and for us to have as companies uh, and as academics. So thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Well, and thank you, Matt, for being open to these cases. Really, that's the important thing from publishers is to say yes to these cases. And, and you guys do, and I've really appreciated it. If you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe to Decision Point on Spotify or wherever you listen. And be sure to check out the show notes for links to cases, resources, and more. Have any feedback? Send us an email at cases at iv.ca.